1 Peter 3, 12 through 21. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you and your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ go ahead and take a seat morning Uh, so before we begin uh, I just want to tip my hat again to the Hatters for opening up their their home to us uh, over these last several months. Uh, thanks, Cole and Sonia, for just allowing us to use your home. Uh, worship the Lord here. As many of you know, um, this is, uh, at least for now, <laughs> this is going to be our, our, our last time gathering uh, here uh, in, in, in the morning. Uh, we uh, when, when we started meeting here uh, in, in this b- backyard, I mean, well, first, like when COVID hit, uh, we were meeting in the school. And as you guys know, they, sc- they shut the schools down, uh, which was a bummer because we didn't have a space to meet. Uh, and we, we actually like we love the employees of the school and like they love us. But, you know, like the district and the state and all that um, for, uh, you know, understandable reasons at the time, like we had to shut everything down and um, we didn't have a place to meet. And being in Rancho Santa Margarita, uh, there's, you, you know, there aren't many public spaces that you can meet either with parks and things like that were, were all closed as well. Uh, and so Cole and Sonia uh, very generously said like, hey, why don't you guys just use our backyard? Use our backyard every other week so you can at least have some semblance of gathering together as a church family. Uh, now, when they, when, they, uh, when they offered that like back in like what? May or June, um, uh, we all thought this was going to be over in like two more months, right? Uh, and so, um, but man, like you guys have been troopers and just super hospitable and generous. So uh, thank you for opening up your home. Next week, we're going to um, begin a meeting in the afternoon at Foothills Church just down the road from here. It'll give us the opportunity to, to meet weekly. Uh, uh, for for worship and for fellowship. We'll talk more about that later. But in the meantime, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's what we'll be this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now, when, when early, early on in my friendship, uh, with, with Cole, we, we went on a, a mission trip to, to Africa, to Rwanda. Um, we were there for like, what, two and a half weeks, uh, and we met some of the most amazing people 
that we have ever met. And those of you that know the, the history of the nation of Rwanda is in the, in the mid-90s. Uh, they went through this intense genocidal civil war. One group of people who traced their roots back to a certain tribe uh, were hunting down uh, this other group of people uh, that traced their roots to another different tribe. And man, this, this genocide like ravaged the small little nation of Rwanda. And I was uh, meeting, uh, during the time there, we, we met uh, a bunch of different people. I was talking to this, to this one young man, and he belongs to uh, the group of people uh, who, who were sort of the oppressors, uh, the ones committing most of the genocide. Uh, he didn't participate in that. He thought the whole thing uh, was wrong and wicked, but he, he wasn't a believer at the time when all of that was happening. Uh, yet here he was as a leader uh, in his local church. And so I asked him, like, hey, man, like, what was that like to live through? Like, tell me your story. Like, how did you come to know Christ on the other end of that after witnessing so much pain, after witnessing so much violence? And his response was that by seeing the way that the oppressed group um, handled their suffering as Christians, the Christians within the oppressed group, seeing how they handled their suffering, how they handled their misery, just shouted to him that there's a God who is bigger than the evil that he was witnessing and, and living through. And that, that idea that, that you can learn something about the God of the Bible, you can learn something about the hope of the gospel by the way that you see Christians suffer is an important biblical truth that's interweaved throughout the book of First Peter. And the text that we're looking at this morning is, is one of those places where we sort of zoom in on that concept. You see, we're, we're kind of we're taught and conditioned in our comfortable, suburban, Western culture lives. We're cultured or we're, we're conditioned uh, to, uh, like, when, when, when discomfort comes, when suffering comes, to run away from it, to avoid it, to make a hard left and to seek for comfort or just to pretend it away. The Bible gives us a different alternative. And that's how to suffer well. Not to avoid it, but how to suffer, suffer well. The point is, every single one of us is going to experience suffering and misery in this life. Um, I mean, this whole like, last year and a half is just like evidence of that, right? Like We don't get to choose when suffering hits us. But the Christian's call is to use his suffering to serve others to use his misery or her misery to minister to others. It's this, uh, it's this idea, this, this, this posture of heart where you recognize like, man, look, everything out there going on in the world, I'm, I'm, be, I'm, I'm, be, I'm receiving suffering from the outside and everything out there is bad. And I can't change that. 
I can't change that, but I'm going to start fix how I live with that suffering in here. It starts with here. It starts with how I interact with my family when I'm suffering, how I interact with my friends, with my coworkers, with my church family when I'm suffering. The principle is that it starts with wherever it is that's closest to you. Now, Admittedly, like when we, there are two ways that Christians can find themselves in the midst of suffering. And one is when we do what is wrong, right? Like when you, that gets you in trouble with, gets you in trouble with God and not the world, right? Like sometimes because the Lord loves us, he disciplines us, right? Uh, to remind us uh, where our greatest hope lies. Uh, but the other reason that we endure or go through suffering is, is not from doing what is wrong, but actually from doing what, what is right. Sometimes we suffer for doing what is right. Uh, and when that happens, oftentimes that gets you in trouble with the world, but not with God, right? Uh, I, I remember uh, at, at another local church in the area, I taught this series of classes on, on Christ and culture. How as Christians should we interact with culture? Um, and we, you know, we went through the like history of culture and a theology of culture and, and all this other stuff. And then uh, at the end of the first session, this guy answered his, his or raised his hand, and he's like, hey, "Can I just ask something?" Like he's like, "This is all like wonderful and good and helpful, but can can we just talk about um, what it's like to suffer for following Christ?" in the midst of a culture that sometimes hates him. And that is the type of suffering that the, the people in this passage who are being addressed were going through. They were suffering for what the Bible calls righteousness sake. They were actually suffering because they were following God and because the culture that they lived in didn't want to have anything to do with God. Now, I say that because as we're talking about suffering, this is the kind of message, this is the kind of sermon that will apply to all many different people that are, that, that are going through different kinds of suffering, but it will speak very pointedly for those of us who suffer for righteousness' sake. And that's what we're looking at today. I want to give you a reason for your hope in the midst of hostility. A reason for having hope in the midst of hostility. The good news is that because of Jesus, you can give a reason for your hope. You can tell the world something about your hope, something about God, by the way that you deal with suffering and hostility. Now, as we look at 1 Peter 3, the big question is, how can we have a hope that shines? How can we have a hope that shines? How do we, when we suffer for righteousness sake, when we're following Christ and meeting hostility because of it, how do we prepare ourselves to give a reason for the hope that we have? Now the key is found in what comes before the phrase, always be prepared in verse 15. He says, Peter says to his audience, he says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, depending on the translation that you have, uh, that you're looking at, your translation might say, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Uh, the idea is the same, though. It, it basically just means make much of God in the midst of your suffering. Make much of him. Live as though he actually exists. Live as though he actually, his existence actually matters to you in the midst of your suffering. If you want to defend your hope in Christ, then make much of Christ in your hearts. 
In the original Greek, this is actually a continuous flowing thought. He's saying, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have in you. Those two things go together. So what that tells us is that Peter's making an if-then statement. He's saying, look, if in your heart you honor Christ the Lord as holy, then you will be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. All right? So look, if you want your hope to shine, if you want your hope to shine to a world who desperately needs hope, the hope that you have, then honor Christ the Lord as holy. Then and only then will you be prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have in you. And so now let's, let's break apart what this text says about this hope. Point number one, this hope is fearless. It's a fearless hope. It's a resilient hope. Read verse 13 through 15 with me. Peter says, now who is there to harm you? if you're zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now a little bit of context here. You know, last week, uh, Oscar preached on the first few, or on the few verses right before this text. And in that text, Peter was encouraging his people to have unity, to have brotherly love, to be at peace with one another. Uh, He was encouraging them to have a positive witness to the world around them, right? And and look, the idea is that like when, when we live in the fruits of the Spirit, there's a sense in which the world will stand back in awe and be amazed and be like, wow, you guys are doing good in the world. You guys are doing good in the world. Look at the unity that you have. Look at the love that you have with one another. Look at the peace that you have in the midst of this pandemic. The faith that you have when in the midst of all of this, this fear, right? And so, and so there's a sense into which the world will be uh, amazed. But Peter says there's also a sense into which when we're following God, some people will hate you for it. And that's why he transitions here in verse 13. And he says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, in other words, saying, look, sometimes you will suffer for righteousness sake. And when that happens, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Now, as they receive this verse, I want you to put the sh- your, yourself in the shoes of, of the people who were receiving this word from Peter, right? They're enduring suffering. They feel like sojourners in a strange land. They feel like exiles in the region. And they're getting hated on. They're getting bagged on for following Jesus. And imagine what it must have been like for them to receive this verse from Peter, who was like the OG church planner, right? Like the pastor of pastors, one of the original 12 that walked with Jesus. And he's writing to them and saying, look, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, if that does happen to you, man, you will be blessed. They probably needed to hear that, right? Like some of us have experienced this kind of suffering. Others assume it will never happen to them. But Peter says, look, it's likely that that will happen to you. And when that happens to you, you can say, look, these people, 
that are hating on me, like they might, they, they, they might judge me. They, can, they might even take away my like, livelihood. They might drag my name through the mud, destroy my name. I might even lose relationships. But when this happens, how am I going to respond? And Peter gives some very practical advice. He says, in your hearts, uh, or he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, he says, don't be afraid of them. Don't bow before them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the haters. Don't be troubled. Don't be overwhelmed by the hostility, but instead, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so the formula here, Peter says, when you're faced with hostility, if you do that thing, if you do honoring Christ, if you honor Christ, you'll remove the fear of others and you'll replace it with a hope that preaches. Now, how does that happen? Why does it work that way? Why does honoring Christ the Lord as holy take our fears and replace it with hope? What is the relationship there? Right? Peter, Peter doesn't leave us wondering. We actually can just look at the text to understand the relationship between the two. Uh, one key thing to recognize is that Peter is directly quoting from Isaiah 8 when he says, Don't fear them nor be troubled. Um, but in your high, our hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. You see, in Isaiah chapter 8, God's people were being oppressed. They were being oppressed. They were being uh, judged. And, and the Lord tells them, look, your only hope is not to fear them, but to rightly fear me. Right? And you might be wondering, how does that work? Right? But he says, look, let the Lord be your fear. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13, uh, it says, The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. In other words, he's saying, don't fear men, but fear God. Now, that, that's kind of a strange phrase. In, in for tr tr strange concept in our 21st century Western understanding of, of the word fear, right? Like we we think that fear is is we only associate fear with with the with bad definitions of of fear, right? Like is the fear of God really a hopeful thing? How does that work? But you know there used to be a day and age. Where if you called somebody a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman, like that said something about that person's character and virtue, right? The Bible actually says repeatedly through the book of Proverbs and through the Psalms that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, here's a helpful picture to understand how uh, Peter's using the word fear here. Uh, to, to a helpful picture to help us understand this concept of fear. When you fear something, what are you doing? Like, I want you to think about that emotion. Think about what how goes through your mind when you fear something. When you fear something, what you're doing is you're acknowledging, man, this thing has power over me. This thing has power over me that is just going to leave me undone. Right? Whether you have a fear of the dark as a little kid, the fear of heights, fear of spiders. You grew up, you had a fear of public speaking. When you were a teenager, 
fear. Maybe he had a fear of talking to girls, talking to boys, right? Any one of those fears that we've experienced, like what we're saying is, look, this idea, this action, this thing, it has power over me. It has power over me such that it, 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 it's going to change the way I respond to life. You see, when we fear God, we acknowledge his power over us. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And we acknowledge, when we acknowledge, when we have a right fear of the Lord, a reverential fear of the Lord, when we acknowledge his power over us, then all our other fears, they fade away. And this is what Peter is quoting in our text when he says, Don't, do not fear or be troubled, but honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's just another way of saying fear the Lord, acknowledge his holiness, his greatness, his worthiness, and then watch all your other fears just fade away. Here's another key point. That phrase, honor him as holy, is actually one word in the Greek. It's the word hagiatso. Hagiatso, which means to render or acknowledge uh, with reverence, to be venerable or to hallow, right? To hallow. It's the same word used in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. To hallow his name is to say, Lord, let your name be holy. Let your name be set apart. Let your name be held with reverence and with awe. It's upholding the creator-creation distinction, which is so central to our faith. So I want you to take these two key passages, the fear of God in Isaiah and the hallowing of God's name in Matthew 6, and I want you to apply them to how we honor Jesus in our hearts. What is Peter saying? He's saying, for Christ the Lord to be honored as holy means to regard him as the holiest being in the universe. Recognize that his name is the name above all names. That he is the all-sufficient one who is perfect and lacks no thing. He's the supremely unique one. That's why the angels sing of him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's perfect in all his attributes. He's the most beautiful of all beauties in the universe. He's the most eternal of all time. He's the most sovereign creator and author of redemption. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. There's no limit to his dominion. He's the one that makes the angels sing and makes the demons tremble. And Peter is saying, look, man, honor him as such. Honor him as such. Fear him rightly with reverence and awe. Honor him as such. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Live in the reality of knowing that Jesus is altogether different. He's bigger than the people that are mocking you. He's bigger than the suffering that you're experiencing. He's bigger than the mystery that's got you knocked down. Live in the reality of knowing that Jesus is bigger and better and greater. He has no rivals. He has no peers. No comparison can be made to his greatness, to his goodness, to his purity, to his beauty. And so speak, think, work, and live 
knowing that there is no one who can compare to the person of Christ. He's more precious and valuable to be cherished. Do others see that in you? Do others see that you honor Christ the Lord as holy? Do they see that you acknowledge and recognize the reality of Jesus's lordship rather than the lordship of others? Are you living as though he is great, greater than the threat of others? Look, our hope when we're suffering, especially at the hands of others, our hope is not in their approval. Our hope is in his, Jesus' holiness. That is our hope when we face hostility. Romans 8 famously asked this question, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God's in your corner, who can touch you? If this holy, this hallowed God is for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can make a charge against God's elect? If the God of the universe is for you, who on this tiny little planet can ever be against you? Peter understood how important it was to get this. After all this, he was the friend who denied Jesus three times. When Jesus needed him most, Peter surrendered to the powerful fear of man. He blew it. He totally blew it in that moment. And yet in this letter, he writes well after that point in his life. And he writes as a pastor pleading to us not to repeat his mistakes. He pleads, don't acknowledge their power. Acknowledge Christ's power. Honor him in your hearts. Let the reality of his holiness and his worthiness sink into your bones. Preach this news to yourself. Repeat it, remember it, rehearse it, whatever it takes. Don't ever forget it. So that's point number one, that our hope is a fearless hope. Point number two, this hope is to be accounted for. This hope is to be accounted for, or this hope exploits the opportunity to share. Right? Now, I want you to continue on in verse 15. Uh, he says, look, when we do that, when we honor Christ as holy, Peter says, you will be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, this is the sort of big apologetics verse, right? Anybody who's in, into like defending the faith, knowing all the scientific facts and history and philosophy about how to defend the faith, like this is their go-to verse. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that's a fine verse on apologetics, but I think it's important for us to recognize that Peter is not writing specifically to the apologist. No, he's writing to suffering servants of Christ. And that's all of us. Not the one who's just an armchair apologist, but this is all of us. Every single one of us are suffering servants of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you will suffer in this world. You will experience pain and misery. And yet, we still serve Christ in the midst of it. You see, 
contextually, this verse is about less is less about being having like a smart defense of your faith and more about having just a visible hope. It's less about having a good argument in apologetics and more about sharing good news. You see, honoring Christ is an inward action that will uh, produce a visible hope in our lives. Visible hope that is noticeably different in a way that makes unbelievers curious to the point that they would ask, what gives? Why are you so joyful? Why are you at peace? Why do you put up with this slander? Why aren't you fighting back? How can you stay so calm when others are slamming you with their words? How are you unswayed? And then Peter says, when they start asking those questions, give them your reason. Point them to Jesus. You see, we live, we live in, in an era of time and in a culture of division and partisanship doesn't just exist in politics, it exists in denominations, it exists in, it's like cancel culture, right? Like everyone's trying to figure out like who can, who, who can we hate the most on, uh, oh, it's this day, this time, right? Like let's find somebody else to like hate on, right? Look, that's how, that's how the world operates right now when they feel threatened, when they feel Saturday. Who can we cancel? Who can we blame, right? And man, you see on the media, you hear in the news that a lot of times there are Christians who react to feeling persecuted, react to feeling oppressed, and their response is, let's yell louder. Let's, let's get them. Let's, let's prove them, them, them wrong. And man, I just, I just want us to look at this text and say, I think Peter is contending for a better posture, for a more transcendent and hopeful posture. One that doesn't condescend to others, but one that transcends the way that the world operates and points to a greater hope. He says, Give, wait till they start asking questions. How are you so unmoved by this? And then give them a reason for your hope. Point them to Jesus. You see, it's living in the reality when we know that God is great and that he's in control and that he's powerful. Living with Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts is just recognizing that, that, man, God is big and he sees. He sees me. He's there for me. He cares for me. He is with me. How many of us struggle with this view of God where, where your view of God is that his eyes are closed, his ears are covered, and he's distant? Peter's saying, no, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Recognize him in your hearts. Live in the reality of who he is and his presence. Here's what happened when we don't do that. When we don't honor Christ, we don't have hope, right? Because it's no longer about him, and it becomes all about you. It becomes about your piety, your self-righteousness, your religious do's or don'ts, your feelings, right? Like, look, 
Whenever we, we, whenever we find ourselves uh, worrying and anxious and stuff, we see the entire world through like uh, self-colored lenses, right? Where all that you see when you're suffering is yourself. All that you feel is your hurts. All that you know is your need. It's not God doesn't want you to pretend that away. He wants you in the midst of that to take those things and come to him. Honor Christ the Lord is holy. See, we find ourselves scraping the bottom of the barrel for false hopes. Instead of making much of Jesus, we start to make much of people. We start to make much of things. We start to make much of our position before them. Right When we're getting mocked for our faith, we make much of our position before others, and so we want them to like us, and then we, we start compromising in the way that we're following Christ, and rather than making much of him, we make much of these people who are so much smaller than him. But when our hope is in Christ and we honor him as the Holy One, saying to the world, look, it's all about him, then the reality of Christ and our joyful hope in him will make us shine as lights in a dark world of hostility. Our lives will begin to preach the message of resilient hope that our restless world desperately needs. Peter offers a quick word on the manner in which we're to share that hope. He says, verse 15, Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Here's what Peter's saying in in the most theological of terms. Don't be a jerk, (laughs) right? Don't be a jerk. Let your witness flow out of your love and reverence for Christ, not out of your sinful desire to puff yourself up and overpower those around you, put them down. We weren't commissioned to win arguments. We were commissioned by Jesus to win souls. And so do it with gentleness and respect. Now, when Peter uses the word gentle there, that does not mean be a doormat. Let people walk all over you right? That would be the fear of man, which is the whole point of this message. Like, don't do that, right? Like, when we use the word gentle, he's not talking about being a doormat or being passive. It doesn't mean that you use this soft little voice. Uh, Maybe you do, but that's not what Peter means by gentle. What it does not, what he's trying to say is just, you don't be overpowering, you don't be condescending, but you respect others and honor them as fellow image bearers, whether or not they know Jesus. They're made in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect. It means that you're not bitter or vengeful. You're patient with the Lord. You give your case boldly, if you will, but you make the case of your hope known, and then you just trust the sovereign spirit of God as if, uh, you know, converting that person was up to him to change a heart and not up to you. This leads us to our last and final point. This fearless hope, number three, is zealous. Be zealous with your fearless hope. Being zealous for good works, Peter talks about, even if it means we suffer for it. In verse 13, he says, be zealous for what is good. 
In verse 16, he says, look, even when you are slandered. In verse 17, he says, it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Clearly, having a fearless hope, a strong hope, a resilient hope, clearly having that kind of hope is not passive. It's not always about giving a defense. It's, a, it's, it's not always about giving a, a good defense. It's also about giving a good offense. As kingdom citizens, we don't just play a good defense. We need to play a good offense too. We're not always defending our hope and making a case for it. We're also zealously pursuing good works in light of the hope that we already have. Does that make sense? And so we are zealous because we have no fear. We're blessed. This hope of ours that we already have, this Christian hope is the best news that there is. And so when Peter writes this letter, he opens in the beginning of the letter First Peter, as we read this morning in our call to worship, Peter begins First Peter with the reminder that in light of God's mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's alive. Think about the idea of, of living. When something is alive, it breathes, it, it, it grows, it thrives, it flourishes. Often when we use the word hope, we, we think of, of hope as having a chance, right? Like, man, I hope I got that, I get that gift on my wish list for my birthday. Man, I hope this new relationship or this friendship works works out i hope this sermon ends soon fat chance we often speak of hope as having a, a chance but hope the way the bible uses it hoping god is not it's not sketchy it's not left up to chance Living hope in God is a confidence that God is good, that God is faithful, that he is true, he is sovereign, and he will accomplish all that he says he will. Peter calls it, again in 1 Peter 1, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In other words, it is alive today. Where is Jesus? What's in his tomb? Nothing. Here's the truth. Every other place you put your hope, all other hopes are, in some sense, dead hopes. You place your hope in a possession, in a place, in a people, in a position before men or women. All of these things will eventually waste away, but not Jesus. Not even death could claim him. Here's the heart of this living hope. The heart and core of what treasure is found in verse 18 it says for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit so why do we share our hope with others why do we surrender our fears why do we honor christ it's because christ suffered first for our sins that is our hope our hope is that a price was paid the price and penalty was paid for our sins jesus died in our place for our sins 
Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son, how we will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, you want to have proof that you have a, a hope worth sharing? You want proof that God will deliver you from hostility? Then, man, just look at the cross. Look at the cross of Jesus. Look what God the Father was willing to endure through the suffering of God the Son. Let me close with this. Here's the bottom line. How we witness our hope in the face of hostility, ultimately this, this is the big takeaway. Just make much of Jesus with your life. Make much of Jesus in your heart. Make much of him in your suffering. If you care about others and want them to drink from the fountain of hope, then make much of Jesus. That's it. Just make much of him. Let that simple truth, that simple call, liberate you from legalism. Let it free you from fear. Meditate on the treasures of this good news. Whether you're suffering in the culture, in the workplace, in your community, or whether it's even in your home at the hands of others, people can do a lot of rotten things to you. People can do a lot of jacked up things to each other. They can slander, steal, lie, destroy your reputation. They can even take your life. But no man... No woman can take your soul if it belongs to Christ. No one can destroy your relationship with the Almighty. No one can take away your salvation. No one can reverse his forgiveness, take away the rich inheritance given to you in Christ. No one can put Christ back in the day, in the grave, taking that living hope and making it a dead hope. No man, no woman, no devil can ever do that. It'll never happen. As good and true as Jesus lives, your hope is alive today. This is the good news that Peter turns us to in this text. That's our hope and calling. We get to honor Christ as holy. Let him be your living hope. And let that hope dig deep into your heart so that when others see the way that you manage suffering, the way that you manage hostility thrown at you, and demand a reason for why you have such a resilient hope, you can point them to Jesus, the one who said, it is finished. I took care of it. He's the servant who suffered once for sins, that he might bring us to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.